Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Those who are going to a little worship can be dismissed at this time. If you're staying uh, with us, I invite you to open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. That's also there in your bulletin. And also, kind of as we're transitioning, uh, and Corley mentioned it in his prayer this morning, uh, we are uh, grieving, just as a church family, uh, the passing of a dear friend of Westminster, uh, Margaret Montgomery. Um, I know many of y'all have known her and that family for a very, very long time. Um, just, and we sent out an email last night, but just to let everybody know uh, the arrangements for her. Uh, so tomorrow, Monday from noon until 2, uh, is going to be a visitation at the Greenwood Delta Funeral Home. I, that's the one that's on John Pittman Drive. Uh, that's, that's right, John Pittman Drive, right? Greenwood Delta. Um, and then so visitation from noon until 2. Uh, funeral's going to be at 2 o'clock uh, there. Uh, with a graveside or with a, a, a burial uh, to follow out at uh, Evergreen Cemetery in Carrollton. Um, so do um, encourage y'all to just be in prayer for that family uh, as they, they walk through this, this season of grief uh, and loss. So uh, before we, we read, uh, just two, two things kind of by way of context so we can kind of better understand Ruth. Uh, first thing of context is for millennia, not just hundreds of years, but thousands of years, Jews and Christians alike have viewed Ruth as the model woman of faith. Uh, I mean, you read about her, like she is the total package, right? And, and so we, we see this uh, even in how the Hebrew Bible is ordered. Uh, and so their, their order of their Bible is different from our Old Testament in our Bibles. And, and that's okay because it's not like God handed, I know this is a hymnal, but, uh, so forgive me. Um, <laughs> it's not like God handed us a bound copy of his word with the, you know, inspired ordering of his word. No, you know, you know uh, as we learn, uh, God inspired certain people who wrote on some on stone tablets, papyrus, scrolls, letters, and, and, and the growing consensus amongst scholars is that uh, Ezra, the scribe, rounded up all the scrolls and all the things that had been, at that point, received as inspired by God, and he compiled them all into one collection, uh, what we would call our old, the Old Testament, and what they called the Hebrew Bible. Um, and, and whereas in our English Bibles, you know, we put Ruth kind of, it's, it's kind of a historical book, so we put it kind of in the historical section. You know, it's Joshua, Judges, Ruth. In the Hebrew, they, they saw it more as wisdom literature. You know, Psalms, Proverbs, the, the, the part of the nitty-gritty of life, how life works best. And so the Hebrews place Ruth, they kind of wedged it right in between Proverbs and Song of Solomon, right there. And they did so because, as you know, Proverbs ends with this very poetic description of the excellent wife. Uh, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels, right? The Proverbs 31, wife. And so Hebrew readers may read that and think, okay, tell me more about this person y'all are talking about. And so on the next page, they would see an example of this Proverbs 31 woman in Ruth. Um, and then having fleshed out this excellent wife in Ruth, 
Then the Hebrew Bible moves on to detail. Okay, well, well how do you love this woman once you've found this woman uh, in Song of Solomon? And so the, it was very didactical, you know, very just wisdom right there. That's how families work. But unfortunately, though that's helpful, uh, it's led many to turn Ruth into this moral example um, while missing the point of this book altogether. And look, Ruth and Boaz are just, I mean, they're, they're, they're great people, and we're going to learn about both of them today. Um, and if our kids turned out to be like Ruth or Boaz, we'd be thrilled. But if the takeaway is, ladies, be like Ruth, and men, be like Boaz, uh, then we've missed it. Because this book is about God's hesed love, his one-way love to his people. And so the reason why Ruth and Boaz are shining examples of grace and love and why we want our kids to be like them uh, isn't because they're just great, but it's because they have experienced God's hesed love. And in turn, that has flowed out of them into others. It, it has literally changed them. God's love had captured and changed them. And what we have to see is God's great love for you can also do the same. And so again, it's not be like Ruth, be like Boaz. As much as it is, go to Jesus and experience God's love for you. It will change everything. Okay, so that's what Ruth's about. The second context, uh, as we saw last week, Ruth reminds us that there is an unseen hand directing everything in our lives. And from, from joy to pain, uh, from the extraordinary things, even, even down to the mundane. And you know, we've all had these moments in our lives, be it a phone call that changes everything, uh, or maybe a, a job interview, or maybe that time you met your spouse. Um, it, it just changed the course of your life. And, and in those moments, you know, sometimes we say, well, it's what a coincidence, or Man, we got our lucky break. But the Bible, and we see in Ruth, it's, it's not luck, it's not coincidence, it's, it's providence, that there is a hand directing and guiding all these things. And so John Flavel was an English Puritan, and the Puritans had a lot to say about God's providence. Uh, but Flavel had this to say. Uh, I think this is so, it, yeah, this is it. He said providence is, is kind of like the Hebrew language um, in that you can understand it better when you read it from right to left. You know, you read Hebrew backwards. Um, at least to us, it's backwards. In, in other words, he's saying that you can't look forward into the future and understand God's providence as you try to figure out what's going on. You best understand what God has been doing in his providence by looking backwards and seeing all these ways that he has moved and guided and directed his people. And so, the reason we say that is because this morning we're coming to what scholars call the most significant verse in the whole book. And it's verse 3. And, and, and you read verse 3 of chapter 2, and it's so pedestrian. It's, like, it's so uneventful. It's just this normal thing that Ruth does. And yet what we're going to find is God has his fingerprints all over this just simple, mundane act. Because this event right here literally changed the course of human history. And um, look, I'm not saying that we're like Ruth and we're all going to have like baby Jesus one day. But there are, you know, God does these small, in these small events in our lives that he uses in a big way in our life that we just don't even know it in the present. So with all that said, let's dive into God's word to us. We're going to read the whole chapter just to kind of understand this is kind of like one, if, you, if this was a, a TV show, this would be one episode. So we've got to read it together. Uh, Ruth chapter 2, this is God's word. 
Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain among or after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. So Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she just so happened. That's, this is the key verse. Um, you know, today we may say, and as luck might have it, um, it's providence. She, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Well, then Boaz went, he, he said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of her, your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come and eat, uh, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of, from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field into evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. That's anywhere from 22 pounds to 40 pounds, depending on who you ask. But this was a lot of, that's enough for like a month uh, for her and Naomi. And she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law, Naomi, saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And Naomi said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, this, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close, to, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women. 
lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is God's word. Um, let's, let's pray together. Father, may you be with us through your spirit um, as we learn, uh, teach us about your act of providence and show us the gospel through Ruth. We ask this in Christ, amen. Uh, two, just two things this morning, looking big picture again. Uh, two things, uh, first, a, a dead end. We gotta see a dead end. And then second, a kind invitation. A dead end and a kind invitation. So first, a, a dead end. You know, with all of Naomi's pain from last, you know, last week was all about Naomi, right? It's easy to forget that she's not the only one hurting. <laughs> you know, at the end of, of chapter one, it's, it's, it's really striking that when Naomi and Ruth walked into Bethlehem, it was really all about Naomi. You know, people, and y'all have done this before, you felt like you're kind of on the outside at somebody else's hometown. People talked to Naomi, they reached out to Naomi, they came up to Naomi, no mention of Ruth. At the end of, of chapter one, Ruth is alone in her pain. And in chapter two, the author goes out of his way to make sure we know just how, how big of an outsider Ruth was. Almost every time she mentioned, or she's mentioned, it's as the Moabite. Ruth the Moabite, the woman from Moab, over and over again. And it would almost be akin, almost, to a Nazi soldier showing up in a Jewish town. Because Moab had not been kind to Israel, like not even close. And remember from the Pentateuch, when Israel was was in the wilderness, they were struggling. Uh, Instead of lending aid to help Israel, which by the way, they're kind of, in a way, cousins of, of sorts, the two nations, um, Balak, the king of Moab, instead of helping, actually hired Balaam to curse, curse Israel. And when that didn't work, uh, then this is like the classic way you, you make nations fall. Uh, the Moabite women then seduced the Hebrew men, and as happens, the Moabite women drugged the Hebrew men to their church and to worship their gods. And, and it was, I mean, a really painful time in the history of Israel. So Israel hated the Moabites. And so not only was Ruth grieving, uh, not only was she an immigrant from you know, another country, a hated nation, but notice Boaz's question when he first saw her. Boaz, he, he walks up to his farm manager, looks out in the field, notices this, this woman, and he asks, verse five, whose young woman is this? And you know, to us, like <laughs> American ears, that's kind of offensive because like, what, is she like cattle or something? Like, is she a possession? But in the ancient Near Eastern culture, People weren't identified as individuals. Um, they were always seen and understood in relation to a group. And so in, in the South, I think we kind of understand that, right? Um, you, you, we may go up to a younger child that we don't know, and we'll be like, now, who, who do you belong to? Now, whose are you? And, you know, so it's a you know, family connection, village connection, clan, what clan do you belong to? And so back then, an unmarried woman, this is just how the custom was, an unmarried woman belonged to the father, the father's household until the day she got married. But in the ancient Near East, if a woman lived outside of the protection of a father and of a husband, you're just, you're just kind of out there with no male protection during this time, um, then through the eyes of the world, she would have been seen as a prostitute, someone who you could kind of, she's no protection, kind of take advantage of her. Um, and, and so though Ruth wasn't that, that was how she would have been seen in the culture. And, and then there's the poverty. Just she's, she, I mean, she's poor. 
Um, one of the blessings of God's smiling providence on Ruth and Naomi was that they just so happened to come back to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And that's intentional at the end of Ruth 1 because barley harvest in the, in the ancient world, that meant bread, that meant beer, that meant celebration. That, so barley harvest was in spring. And so it was like, hey, it's the beginning of the Jewish New Year. And so this is like, this is a good time. Uh, so there's hope is in the air. And in the law of Moses, God gave a, a provision for the poor. He said that when farmers harvested their crops, they were requ required to kind of be inefficient, um, to, to leave the edges of their fields unharvested so that the poor could come and they could glean of the crop and they could harvest enough so that they wouldn't go hungry. And, and this was, if you will, an, an ancient Hebrew version of food stamps, um, this made it possible so that if the poor were willing to work, like if you were willing to work, you'd be okay. You would have, you would have more than enough to survive, uh, but you had to work. Um, and it was a, a gracious provision. But, but getting out there and gleaning was a declaration to the world that you had nothing. If you go out and glean, that's very humiliating, or could be in this context. So there's this, uh, this great Brad Paisley song uh, called uh, Two Feet of Topsoil. I don't know if you've ever heard it. It's one of his older songs. Two Feet of Topsoil. It's this classic like, country song about talking about how low he feels since his girl left him. Okay? And this is what he says, or he sings. He sings, well, there's two feet of topsoil, a little bit of bedrock, limestone in between, a fossilized dinosaur, a little patch of crude oil, a thousand feet of granite underneath, and then there's me, right at the bottom. Well, uh, like Brad Paisley, but, but like way worse. Listen, like, listen to where Ruth fit into the Israel society at the time. Uh, and this is kind of a lot, but just kind of bear with me. So at the tip top during this time, it was the king, or in this period, the judge. Then the tribal leader, then the clan leader, then the clan subgroup leader, which that was, this is where Boaz was in, in the society. Uh, then there was the grandfather of the family. Then there is the father, then the eldest son, then the other sons, and then the wife, which we would put, you know, Naomi would be in that category. Um, then the daughters, and then the male servants, then the female servant, then the female servant lower class, uh, followed by the resident alien, and then the male foreigner. <laughs> and at the very bottom, there was Ruth. Um, being a female foreigner, very bottom of society. I mean, Ruth is literally as low as you can get. The, the, I mean, the epitome of a dead end. And yet, as we see, it, it's also there, and I know some of us have seen that in our own lives. It is in the dead ends that God's favor breaks through. And, and look, I, I don't want to over-spiritualize Ruth's story, but we can, we can hear Ruth, read about it, and say, man, that's rough. And yet miss the fact that as far as Ruth away is from the top, I mean, she's way, she's way, way away. Um, spiritually, before the face of a holy God, we, naturally, without Jesus, are infinitely more at the bottom of the barrel. Like, I mean, we've got, we're just so not okay. And so, like, who we are and what we do and what we make and if we're vaxxed or not vaxxed, like, that doesn't change this status. No, no, the only hope we have 
is, is to be in Christ. Just like Ruth's only hope she had was to find some form of a, a, a redeemer in Boaz. So for us, it is union with Christ or bust. And, and so Ruth's status in society, it really, I mean, I hope you see, it's a vivid picture, I hope, of who we are before God. Because we got nothing. I mean, we are outsiders, we are unclean, we are enemies of God, and our only, only, only hope of being made right with God is, is his kind invitation to us to Hesed love. And what's beautiful is, as we've said before, grace always flows downhill and settles in the low places. That's where it's found. Which brings us to our second point, a, a kind invitation. So in, in God's smiling providence, Ruth went out to glean in the field that we said just so happened to belong to Boaz. And our first introduction to Boaz is in verse one, as this man who verse one calls a worthy man. But um, that doesn't really do the Hebrew justice. Um, a couple things about Boaz. Boaz was a clan leader and he was a landowner, which meant he had some, you know, he had been successful. He was, a, he was wealthy. And then the Hebrew uses, in the Hebrew language, a two-word phrase where worthy man is how the, we kind of render it in English. But in Hebrew, a two-word phrase to describe him, it's gibor, uh, which means a warrior, and hayil, which means good or dignified. And so <laughs> this week I was trying to uh, explain to my kids who Boaz is. Like, who, who do we need to think of when we think of Boaz? And I said, think about Mr. Rogers meets William Wallace, okay? This is Boaz, and unfortunately, my kids don't know who Mr. Rogers is. Can you imagine that? Well, who are your parents? Uh, and they definitely don't know who William Wallace is. Maybe one day we'll watch that movie. Um, so anyway, so we're trying to figure out, right, how can we connect? So I asked, all right, who is the nicest person you know, and who is the strongest person you know? And, and here's what we came up with. So Boaz <laughs> was a cross between Miss Laurie Lindsay, a teacher out at Pillow Academy, and Stella Buford. That's, <laughs> that is, uh, I'll let y'all decide which one's which on that, okay? Um, that's who Boaz was. And uh, the, the, the point is, is we see that Boaz was kind and compassionate, a displayer of Hesed, this, this sacrificial love to other people. But also, Boaz is somebody that if you need somebody to have your back, if you need somebody in your corner, um, Boaz is your guy. He's got you. And so uh, we, we see this dynamic of, uh, of strong and kind in, in a couple different ways here. So let's kind of walk through this. Uh, first, you can tell Boaz was a man who had been affected and just uh, changed by God's love for him in how he was as a boss. You know, his, his faith didn't stay private. It, it actually trickled out into how he worked, how he treated his workers. So notice he greeted them with a blessing, the Lord be with you. And then his employees responded with a blessing back, the Lord bless you. Um, though he's a successful man, you, I mean, you, you get the sense, at least, that he's not always about the bottom line, though he, you know, of course, it's good to make money, it's good to be successful. But he's more about being a disciple maker at his work. And so he's, you know, he's got this kind of Chick-fil-A culture thing going on on his farm. Uh, then second, notice his helpfulness. And I love that word helpful. Paul Miller said, helpfulness 
is hesed in action. He, uh, Paul Miller said, helpful is the best we can be for each other. And so in verse 12, Boaz spoke this blessing or this prayer over Ruth. And, and, but he wasn't all talk. You know, a lot of, sometimes Christians, we can just, our, our talk and our walk don't always match up. You know, we, we will pray and pray and pray and then not do anything. Um, so Boaz prayed, but then he put himself in the position to be used by God. And so as we see, he's saying, may you have favor. And then Ruth is saying, you, you've shown me the favor. So God used Boaz to be the kindness and favor of God to Ruth. And so Boaz not only let her glean, but then he was really gracious about it. You know, he's like, he's telling the reapers, look, y'all be a little extra sloppy in your harvest. You know, just kind of pull some out and let her get a little extra. And, and I mean, he, he helped her need. He stepped in and, and was helpful. And then third, in, in kindness, he invited her in, you know, hesed love. And this is kind of the love of God and the love of, that Christians have because of God. You know, we, we also invite others in. He had his eye on the outsiders, on the people on the margin, and he brought them, he brought them in. Um, he said, look, if you get thirsty, uh, you, can drink some, you can drink from our cooler. And, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, I remember growing up where you have to, like, share a cooler with teammates or share a cooler, like, somebody you share a cooler with, I mean, that's, y'all are buddies. You know, you don't let everybody drink after you. And especially back then, they didn't, I mean, people from different nations. This is why, one, you know, the Samaritan woman at the well was so taken aback by Jesus asking, hey, could you draw me a drink? It's like, you, you, don't, you don't drink different people's drinking vessels. And yet, Boaz offers her, um, her the cooler, the drinking vessels. And Boaz said, stay close to my young woman. He said, you, you came here alone, now you belong. You, you, you stay with this group right here. And then finally, Boaz, this is the strong side, Boaz gave her protection. And look, I know you, you read this and maybe skeptics may read this and think, like, what is like Boaz starting a cult or something? I mean, Boaz is like, stay by the young women, y'all stay together, stay in this field, don't go anywhere, watch out for these young men. And I've told them not to touch you. And at first that sounds odd, but then Ruth goes home to talk to Naomi and, and Naomi responds with something that reminds us of the context. N Naomi said, at the, kind of there at the end, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field uh, you be assaulted. And so remember, you know, the book r began by telling us this happened during the time of the judges. And, and that context is so important because this was a time where people did whatever they wanted. They did what was right in their own eyes. And, and Naomi isn't naive. Like she knows what could happen to Ruth. Um, she knows what the young men wanted to do in their own eyes. And they also knew what Ruth would be seen like out in the fields. Um, I mean, she, she could so easily be taken advantage of. And, and just to give you a glimpse of why Boaz offered this protection and why Naomi would bring up sexual assault, um, if you've read Judges 19, uh, Judges 19 is an almost X-rated event that, that happened during this time period, about eight miles north from where Ruth is at this point. And so that Judges 19 kind of gives you a lay of the culture during this time. And, and back then, if you were a single woman who belonged to no one, people thought they could treat you however they wanted. I mean, ep epitome of vulnerable. And so by Boaz saying, look, you come to my field, when you go out to, to glean, you come right here. He's saying, come here because you'll be safe here. 
He said, I, I, I've got you. If, if, as long as you're with me, I've got you. People mess with you, they're going to mess with me. And so in, instead of seeing her as someone to take advantage of, Boaz used his power to save and protect her. And, and this is, quick aside, um, I, I usually never mention politics. And this, I don't really think this is politics. I think this is almost gospel. This is a gospel problem. But, you know, today in our society, there's this talk of more and more, uh, as if you want to call it, Marxist thought creeps in from the academy and gets out into the world. It's this language of oppressed and oppressor, oppressor and oppressed. Right? And it's whoever has the power does the oppressing. And, and maybe that's how fallen humanity works. But what we see here in the gospel is if you have been affected by God's Hesed love, it's not about oppressing people. That you actually use your power, or we saw what Corley read this morning in, in Philippians, right? That Jesus, I mean, Jesus is God, and yet he made himself nothing. It, it's, it's, we, we go down, and that's what we see Boaz doing. He doesn't use his power to, to oppress her or to take advantage of her. He uses his power to save her, to protect her, to make her to be in a better place and so uh, you know apparently think of dads uh, that wait at home you know the whole maybe it's a cliche cleaning your shotguns while your daughter's out on a date and you make sure that that young man sees that shotgun um, well apparently like Boaz didn't trust young men and, and, and no one in the ancient world trusted young men and I think we, we especially us who have been young men we understand <laughs> you understand why you don't trust young men uh, and you think, how countercultural is it today to protect purity? That's a novel idea. Uh, you know, to, to, to say, hey, stay within some boundaries. Like, like, put your eyes right here and just stay here. It's, gonna be, it's best for you right here. And it's not that believers have a low view of sex or that we're trying to oppress anyone. I mean, like, we said Boaz wasn't trying to oppress Ruth. Heck, I mean, spo spoiler, he's going to marry her. Uh, he protected purity because he had a high view of sex and he had a really high view of Ruth. And so uh, that's the point. Um, sex is God's idea and God designed it to be best within this covenant commitment, this covenant of marriage. And, and so Boaz knew that and so he, he also knew that anything other than that was an abuse of God's design. It was an assault to God's uh, plan. And so Boaz offered Ruth a kind invitation to experience Hesed love. And what that meant was grace and community and safety and protection. Well, so as we close, I guess we could ask, like, so what? Right? Two, two quick takeaways on this. First, the obvious one is if God's Hesed love, the love that will not let you go, if his love to you in Christ has come into your life, then, then you have a tremendous opportunity. Not that, hey, not go be like Boaz, but you have an opportunity to yeah, be like Boaz, to actually be helpful to someone in need, to actually be, be a, a, an instrument of grace to someone else, uh, to, sh to share that with others. And, and so the question is, how can you be helpful this week in, in Christ? How can you be helpful? And really living the gospel, I mean, it really is that simple. It can be that earthy. How can you help someone? Because God's favor and God's grace is often experienced through, through his people. And then second, 
Um, and and we're, we're going to get to more of this later in Ruth, but maybe you're, you're hearing this, maybe, and, and you're thinking, or maybe someone later who's hearing this, saying, I, I wish I had a Boaz. Like growing up, I wish I had a Naomi. I wish I had a, this, this mother that's like, do not leave the house like that. Do not hang out with those people. Um, or maybe you wish you had a Boaz who would protect you. Well, um, this Gibor Hayil of a person, someone who's both strong and kind. Well, though Boaz was a real person, um, we see that he's also a type, which means all of this is pointing to this, this need that we have of a true and better Boaz um, who meets us as outsiders and he brings us in and who gives us grace to help in our time of need. And so, like, this whole thing is about Jesus it, it, because Jesus is kind, right? You, I mean, you can go to him. He's not gonna shame you. You can go to him in your sin and he's not gonna laugh at you and yet at the same time, Jesus is strong enough to do something with your sin and with your shame, with your guilt, um, to save us from it. You know, Boaz said something really beautiful here in the middle that gave us this picture of a believer's life as someone who has taken refuge under God's wings. And um, if you get a chance, Google it. Uh, it's like a, you know, a hen or a chicken. Uh, it's, it's this picture of a mother bird putting her wings over her chicks and shielding them from the rain, from the storm, uh, from the sun. Uh, or this week, I, I read the story about Fiona Simpson of Australia. Uh, Fiona was in her car uh, with her baby in the back seat, um, and all of a sudden, she got caught in a bad hailstorm. And, and the hail was big, huge hailstorm. Hell and it got so bad that the back windshield caved in. And so, without even thinking, Fiona jumped out of her front seat, jumped out back, and just stood over her baby in the car seat, shielding her from all the all the hail. And if you, there's a picture. Um, I mean, her back was just, it's probably never going to be the same. I mean, just, just bruised and battered, uh, but her baby survived. And, you know, we, we hear things like that, and we think, man, that's, that's love. That, I mean, that's uh, amazing. But what we need to see, and I know that this, the idea of the cross can kind of become so mundane to us, because it happened 2,000 years ago and like we're doing life now. But like that's the point. Like it was so monumental, so big that it only had to be done once, okay? And see, around 33 AD, this is exactly what happened. You know, Fiona over her baby. That's what Jesus did for his people on the cross. He shielded us from the wrath of God that was directed at us, straight at our sin, he shielded us to save us, and so that we, like, and nobodies, so that we could be brought in. And just like Ruth, we could experience grace and community and protection, salvation and favor by the creator of the universe. So uh, the story of Ruth is the story of the gospel. It is an invitation to, to you to take refuge under the one who is both strong and kind and whose hesed love will not let you go. So come. Well, let me pray for us. Father, we are about to sing about this hesed never stopping, never letting go, one way, 
like you don't care. You're coming after us, love. Um, and Lord, may we experience this this week. Um, Lord, there's so many voices in this world that want to just choke it out. But Lord, we ask that in the midst of the screams and just the white noise of fluff, um, that your word would shine through. Lord, remind us that there is hope in Christ, that there's joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness, and self-control. May all that be true in our lives and may we see Jesus to be so sweet. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.